Okay, so after step one, reconstructing faith on take a breath. What were my steps? They were don't stop was the first part of step one. And then the second part was like, allow yourself the opportunity to take like the moments, the breaths, like take like whatever time space you need, take that and be okay with it. And then looking to unpack more, actually made some notes. This I have not been making notes. I've literally been sitting down and just talking through, okay, here are my thoughts as it pertains to this idea of deconstruction or reconstruction versus deconstruction. And then walking through just my own storyline of, look, here's what I remember. <clears throat> here's been my process. And going back through that, so made some notes to unpack a little further, seven different bullet points of notes, and then wanting to talk off of that to try to express more. So as I was, I was going back and, and discussing with somebody who is actively listening and, and helping to organize the thought process in that, we got to the, okay, like we got to make it more practical in terms of if somebody is listening, if you are listening and you are wrestling with like, no, I got hurt and I'm really mad and I don't know what to do with that. All I am is mad. Well, what do I do at that point? And um, that's, that's where I was at at one point. It was just like, I was angry, was very hurt by different things that had happened. And as I have like gone back through and like, okay, I'm trying to unpack that for myself, meaning I'm trying to sort through my thoughts, my emotions, and sorting through thoughts and emotions back then. And are like, are they different than now and why? Discussing that finally landed on, I think I blamed God more than I blamed everyone else. Because I had gotten to the point where I was looking at what at least from what I see in scripture in the way that I'm translating, here's what the role of a pastor should be. Here's what that kind of person should be. This is very clear when Paul says an elder should be fill in the blank. It, so let's just read it. Paul wrote to Titus and Timothy and discuss eldership. Where are we at? In Titus. Oh, nope, that's not what I needed. Ooh. Interesting. Chapter 1, verse 12. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. <laughs> there's something to be known by thank you for that that's obviously not what we were getting at but still it's like oh that is uh man, that is that is tough Let's see <clears throat> i'm looking at chapter two right now Like, well, there's just open, quiet space right now. Open, quiet, nothing space. Because I'm, I'm reading what Paul wrote to Titus. Chapter 1, verse 5. 
The reason I left you in Crete was that you may straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. So high, high integrity, high character, right? That is not to say that an elder cannot make a mistake. It does mean that an elder needs to be the kind of person that when he does make a mistake, he owns it appropriately with great consistency. So when he does mess up, he should be the one telling on himself. He should be the guy showing up and saying, hey, I messed up here and it looks like this. That may cost me my seat at the table because that happened. And it, 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 usually if you do something stupid and you're the one that says, hey, I did this that was stupid and tell me what it is that is the process of restoration typically don't lose a seat for that unless it's a major deal. Like if you have an affair, yeah, then that's going to happen. But still, an elder must be blameless, husband of but one wife. There's debate on what that means, on whether that means you can be divorced and remarried or if it's just like you married one girl and that's been consistent. Again, there's debate on that. Uh, which one is it? Case, what do you think? I think there's debate on that. Uh, it says a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So not only is he a good dad, but he's a good dad that he may have just gotten lucky. <laughs> His kid's not crazy. <laughs> that one's tough. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it for there are many rebellious people mere talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision uh, of the circumcision group they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain even their own prophets say Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Dang, man, you guys lie and you're fat and you're evil. That's tough. <laughs> when, when, Paul, when Paul writes, he says they're lazy, fat, and evil. Dang, that's, I'm, that's not funny. It's kind of funny. I guess it's okay now because they're all centuries gone and, I'm sorry. I, I guess I never really put it together that Paul is like lazy, fat, and evil. <laughs> Thanks, Paul, for the for the giggle this morning. So Paul writes, and there's that whole list of here's what the person in spiritual authority should look like. They are not overbearing. They are blameless. They have high character. They have high integrity. They don't impose enforce their will they're not quick-tempered they're not given to drunkenness they aren't violent and they aren't pursuing dishonest gain 
there is a lot of that taking place. Like a lot of the stories of when somebody gets hurt, it falls in that list. And usually the hurt comes from some, a spiritual authority, a pastoral figure, and it, and that's where it's coming from. And so again, this idea, like, of course this is happening where we have this movement of deconstruction of faith because these people are being hurt by people that would go with that we would say if these are elder level positions if it's a pastor i realize like not all churches their pastors are elders some are and at the same time when to get in the church government conversation i don't know should a 25 year old youth pastor be an elder probably not it's probably not a great idea should a 40-year-old former youth pastor be an elder? No, I shouldn't be. Absolutely not. Why? Because uh, it says don't be quick-tempered and don't be violent. <laughs> Sometimes I get angry and I don't mind fighting. I haven't been in a fight in a long time, but I, don't, I, sh I just don't mind it at all. It's... <laughs> Evil, fat, and lazy. Uh, and I get angry and I, I'm sorry. Dex came home the other day from school and they're doing football. It's the spring right now. So he's not in football, but it's the spring and they have spring football for their next year's team. Came home, said they were doing a blocking drill. And he was like, I threw up today. And I was like, how did you throw up doing a blocking drill? Like, we need to work on your conditioning. He's like, no, this kid kept punching me in the stomach because he was, when he was, they were teaching him how to block, they're not hitting with the heel of their hand and driving the chest. They were closing their fist and just punching them in the stomach. And he's like, it made me puke. And I was like, did you punch him back? And he's like, no. And I was like, why not? And he's explaining the drill. And I was like, I nowhere in football do I see somebody get hit and the other person not hit back. So I was advocating for punching back. Mom was not. I was like, just freaking punch him in the face next time, dude. There's, <laughs> there's going back to a man whose children be believe and are not open to charge of being wild and disobedient. So I also have a podcast for parenting, the dad's guide to parenting, where we teach our children to fight. Oh, what a day today. I I'm in a laughing mood. So like practicality when i've experienced this kind of leader i've experienced a leader who fails in these areas and it creates hurt and pain and anger what do i i was i was looking at it and going okay god I, clearly you don't care because these people are remaining in authority but they're, they're being paid to be in these positions and handle things this way how have you not done something about that and that, like, that made me angry. I was more angry about that than I was about anything else. And how, like, as I started, not started, as I oof, went through that one, going back to like step one, like, don't stop. So I, I didn't stop wrestling with that question. I didn't stop wrestling with if it seems inconsistent with what the word says. Uh, excuse me, I burped, about pastoral leadership or eldership. It seems inconsistent with what it says about God's discipline in Hebrews 13, God's discipline in Proverbs 3. 
and in other places in Proverbs as well. And at the same time, a, a couple of things going on. One, anytime I was really asking that, like I was always really asking the question, but anytime I'm looking for, okay, I'm asking this question and what does scripture have to say about it? One of the answers, like out of Job, Job is in a significant time of turmoil in a way that I have never nor ever would like to experience. He's lost multiple children. He's lost money, all of it. He's lost his health. His wife is now saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, thank you for the support helpmate in that. And so Job finally gets to where he's like, God, what, what are you doing? And God's clear answer to Job, I think in chapter 40 was, uh, hey, tighten up your belt loop there, buddy, because you and I are about to have a man conversation. And so far in your life, we've only played like you're a child. And then let's see, where's it at? Chapter 39, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is it darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstones? He continues on for multiple chapters saying, remind me when I was doing all this, where were you? Oh, that's right. You didn't exist yet because I hadn't made you. Thank you. Shut up. You know, I don't, that's a, that's a very loose, loose translation and paraphrase of what happened there. But the remind, anytime I am really questioning like, God, what, like you kidding me right now? I, that passage always comes to mind to remind me, hey, I'm sorry, uh, where were you at? Because I don't recall you being there. Oh, that's right. So that always, I don't know that that's a comforting answer for anybody listening. It, that is always a realignment for me. That is a reminder of who are you that, oh, that's right, I'm not in charge. I don't get to pick those things. I don't choose those things. I don't set, I don't set. One, I didn't set the world in existence, and I don't set the destinies or make decisions on who is and who isn't. I just get to look at scripture and go, okay, here's what I see is true being, yes, there is a God. Yes, he did make us. Yes, he does love us. That love is fully expressed in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins so that we can have life forever with God when he fixes everything. And that doesn't mean that anything is going to be, life isn't easy. I think if you've lived for any length of time, life is not easy. The world's not safe. People die. People get sick. Things like we get sad, like crap happens. That's just bad. And 
like how I was listening to Matt Chandler the other day. I wasn't even listening. And I saw a, a clip. It was like a short clip. And he was touching on this subject about like, of course, there's like the church is broke. It's like, I think he said, newsflash, so are you. And just that, like that reminder, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the cliche cheesy, like the church is broken because it's led by broken people. It was a very clear understanding that, yeah, Pete, like lazy, fat and evil. It's not just the Cretans. It's pretty much all of us. You're like, just call me lazy, fat and evil. No, I just, I'm just reading what Paul wrote to Titus in reference to the Cretans. And I didn't say that that's what you were, but he also said in chapter two, remind the people to be subject in rulers, uh, be subject to rulers and authorities. Hold on. That's not what I wanted. Where was that? I just read it. Ah, there it is verse three. At one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of right, the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He, gave, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal or the regeneration by the Holy Spirit, depending on what translation you have whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So Paul reminds Titus to remind the people, hey, you guys are all pretty messed up. And in fact, probably still struggling with some of those things and being reminded that we have grace and mercy from Jesus, not based on anything we've done. And so as I like, what are you getting at case one? As I am unpacking more, I think two things I want to hit today. Number one, I <clears throat> once I finally realized or recognized that I was more mad at God than anybody else, it helped not just rationalize, it helped lessen, I think, how much I either felt hurt or felt angry because when you have an appropriate understanding, meaning when you go back and you look at Job, it, it, do I get to be mad at God? Sure, you can be mad at God if you want to. Can he handle that? Yeah, he can. But what's the answer at the end of the day? The answer at the end of the day is like, uh, he's God and you're not. Like that's the whole, that's the, that's the crux of the passage when he's talking to Job and he says, hey, uh, tighten up the belt loops there because hang on. That's the, I, he's going to give an exhaustive illustration similar to when, Adam is in the garden and he's made Adam. He's made all the animals and everything. And he's like, Hey, you're alone. And that's not good. And meaning you don't have a, uh, there's not somebody who looks like you. And so he, God didn't need to bring all the animals to check 
are these good helpmates, but rather for Adam, that that's my take on the passages is that he exhausted for Adam, the illustration of there is no one else who is going to match with you until I make her. And then there you go. Similar to conversation with Job, he gives an exhaustive two and a half chapter exposition of here's what I did without you. Now, what's your question again? And, and then going all the way to Paul writing to Titus and this idea that, hey, heaven's enough. Like when he says, all of this stuff he's done for you, not based on what you did, but rather what he's giving you, that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Like that, that is the message of the Bible. There is a God. He loves you. He, uh, all the way back from Genesis 1 and 2, made us, made us with intention and for relationship and for relationship with one another. Fast forward that. Get to Job. Reminder, you're not God. Fast forward all the way to Titus. This whole thing, the whole message of this thing is to remind you that God made a way for you to be an heir and have hope of eternal life. That's it. It's, it's not that, hey, so-and-so got fired or that this church issue got fixed or that you made me feel better about how somebody said something that was mean to me one time or I got fired or you made the work-life situation total hell and then... Uh, and then I left and then I watched five of my buddies go through the same thing and that all sucked. And you're still making multi six figures, if not more working here. It, it, none of that matters. You're like, well, not that God doesn't care, not that God doesn't see things, but it, at the same time, it, what am I trying to get at? What I'm trying to, to run around the tree screaming and yelling is that once I realized who I was really mad at, it helped me to then go back to the scriptures and say, is it appropriate to be mad? And if I am mad, what do I need to do? And then God, through his word, reminding me the way he did others, he's in charge. And, and, you can choose to trust that or not. And for me, it's been easier to trust that. And it has lessened over time. Again, going back to step one, don't quit. Be okay taking a breath, however long that breath may be. And then recognizing who am I mad at? And so that's how I dealt with that. And then, okay, let's, let's move the conversation and say, uh, how do I handle it when I'm mad at someone and I can't change that? So discussed, there are three, as I think back through the storyline, there, there are three figures that stand out in, in a decade and a half of working in a church that were, uh, that were, that were rough relationally. <clears throat> and some of that is their personality. Some of that is a lot of that's my personality. Uh, and then s a good portion of that is, is leadership and style and practicality and how you want to run things. Of those three, there's one that has uh, like 
quality full circle restoration friendship uh, he and i still talk with somewhat regularity and that was one that i referenced last time it was a four-year ordeal from a conversation to the next conversation it took a long time and softening uh, i think on both sides for us to have to to be able to 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 make that loop and sometimes and sometimes it takes that long and so back to let's we'll get into that there's two others those two are not full circle one of those was an attempt at it and at the end of the day there like there are people that you're just not going to like and that aren't going to like you and that's just how it is and that's okay there are some personalities that do not mesh and some personalities that I would almost say even can't mesh because different personalities will draw certain lines and those, those won't, those won't cross over. And uh, so that particular personality, we could, we could sit in a room together and say, like the healthiest it can be is like, I love Jesus. And I think you do too. And you and I can never work on the same team because we're, we don't agree on one, what we're after and two, even how to get there. And there've been enough instances that at least from my side of the table, which I would assume on the other side of the table too, like, I don't trust you. And in certain situations, I would say you probably shouldn't trust me either because I am not for your success because I, I'm not convinced or I'm not confident that going back to like you and I don't define a win the same way. So I don't want to be at the table with you, whatever team you're on, I don't want to be on. And if I was on that team, you need to fire me because I am not for you because I think you're wrong about where you're trying, what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Does that mean I'm right? No. It means that when you're dealing with, when you're in a pastoral position, at the end of the day, just, just like in life, like as a dad, like who do I answer to as a dad? Uh, I mean, I, a little like Brian, sure, because we're a married, marital team. When my kids are grown, I'm sure they'll have some thoughts on my parenting style and things that happen, much like most of us do about our upbringings and whatever critique or praise you may have about those experiences. But at the end of the day, the person that I really, the, the only one I really answer to for how I decided to raise my children is Jesus. Because it, like, as you look at the scriptures, the, the parents are like dad, especially is given the leadership role if we go back and we look at Ephesians chapter five, dad is given the, the leadership role of raising his children and doing so to follow Jesus and to know what is true in scripture and to act accordingly. That's our job. And I would assume that it goes in line with the same Hebrews 13 talking about elders are going to give an account for what they've been, been entrusted with. I think there's a consistency like 
if, if you look at the parable of the talents, there was there were three guys given different amounts of money, and then uh, what like the the parable is a story. Jesus told a story about a person a, a person of wealth who said, "Hey, here's one talent, here's five talent, here's ten talents to different individuals," and said, "Hey, I'm leaving." So he left and said, I want you to take care of this for me while I'm gone. <clears throat> the guy with one went and buried it because he was terrified. The one with five went and doubled it. And the one with 10 went and doubled his. Or maybe it was one, three, five. I don't remember the exact. Forgive me. It was either one, three, and five or one, five, and 10. So the two that had more went and doubled it. He comes back and says, hey, what'd you do? The guy that had one that buried it and hit it was like, hey, it was terrified of you. I hit it. Here it is. Back at you. And then the other two were like, hey, you took your money and doubled it. And he was like, all right, dude that hit it was scared. Take his money and give it to these other guys. And the point being, there is something entrusted. There's, a, there's an object of value entrusted to an individual. And then the story is that the person who, who actually owns that stuff comes back and, and wants those entrusted with to give an account for it. There's a consistency throughout scripture for God entrusting something of value, whether that is an object or a human or a mission. And then the person who entrusted that with a person with the, those that he did is then coming back and those people are giving account for it. And so there's, there's a consistency of, it doesn't say like, dad, you're going to stand before Jesus and talk about that. That isn't clearly man. Like that's not clearly spelled out, but there is a consistency with that and in roles like that have that, Hey, that's coming. And so my assumption is it's probably a conversation for all of us as men as to what, what was entrusted to you give an account for that. And so th that's where I get that idea of like, as a dad, I'm going to answer to Jesus, not you. And, you know, I've sat in meetings. I sat in a meeting at, at a school. This is a few years ago. And our daughter Tanner was. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know that she was in trouble. She was being questioned over a cheating incident. And uh, just interesting way that that whole thing played out. I actually went up to the school right before she got out of class to talk with her before she went into the principal's office. And then I got in trouble. <laughs> I, I it was in the principal's office being told that I was being sneaky. And uh, which I sat on my hands and then... Uh, went ahead and expressed how I felt about who was in the authority position with my daughter and who was playing number two, three, or four in that role. It, because I had told my daughter, like, if you cheat on this test, I want, I want you to tell them and I get a zero. That's like, if that's what happened, that's what you have to say. So and it, I don't even know why I told that part. Uh, forgive me. Other than the fact that we have to give an account as men for what's been entrusted to us. And so it's the same for a pastoral figure. The elders are giving account. I think pastors are giving, like Peter says that, like not, not, don't let many of us, not a lot of you should be teachers is what he says. I'm going to read it to quote the thing. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. No, that's all Paul's writing. Corinthians. What? going the wrong way don't you even know how the bible's arranged yeah 
Some days I do. Other days I kind of just fumble around. Uh, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. That's not where we went. Wives, the same way, be submissive. Oh, Peter said that too. How do you like that? Um, Driscoll would like that passage. <laughs> Sorry. It's probably too soon. I think I... What is that noise? I like made a snore noise. I've gone back and listened, and I, sometimes I make old men noises. I guess because I'm old now. I, I guess now when I talk, I, I make old man breathing noises at times. So if that bothers you, I apologize. Okay, I'm trying to find the passage where Peter says, not a lot of us should be teachers because suffering for being a Christian new i think those are the like hey if it's for a little while like your whole life it's gonna be okay oh too far ah false teachers no oh come on where's it at no no I'm going to have to Google this. I am. I'm now Googling. Googling. Peter says not many should be teachers. That was James. Talk about feeling like a moron today. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Somebody needs to read the New Testament more. That would be me. Maybe I've spent too much time reading Proverbs for my quiet times lately to think that Peter wrote something that James did. Wow, that's irritating. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Hold on a second. Okay, going back. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And then he goes on to talk about how you use your words because it's kind of a big deal because it's a big deal. Why should why should a teacher know the Bible? Well, because it's a big deal. Why is, I probably should have known that James said it. <laughs> it's a mark for me. So how do I, I have run all kinds of rabbit trail in this. How do I handle it when I'm mad at someone and I can't change it? And that overlaps with like, okay, I'm angry. I'm angry with God because not only can I not change it, he's not changing it either. And this person is still in a position making a lot of money, handling things the exact same way. And so does that mean they think then they are right while they're handling it that way? Maybe, I don't know. Point being, the individuals that I've had that experience with, I have found, like, so I'll talk about the one that that is is good now. It's like, man, we are like supportive buddies. We'll call back and forth. Uh, he's he, He's thrown me some work and I've done the same for him, meaning when somebody has needed something in our space or our area, we've referred that person there because there's a friendship, there's a trust, there's a relationship that are built. And even though he uh, 
still has some overlap with uh, the, uh, one of the other parties in this conversation, that doesn't mean I don't trust him. And, be, and, and part of that, it's because the healthiness of what we've been able to go through. But while I, so in the four year period of time, like I'm really, really frustrated and I can't change this. We've had a conversation. It did not go the way that I wanted it to, or that I expected it to, or that I hoped it to. And we didn't reach a point during that period of time that I wanted to, but like, what, like, what do I do when I am angry about that? When something makes me think about it or when something happens that brings it up, or if there's an actual situation where I am interacting either with or around or in the environmental setting where those emotions and that response comes up, what do I do? And it was one of two things. One, I could either be angry about it, which I'm a, I am a thinker doesn't mean that I have deep thought process. It just means that I do think I, I spend a significant amount of time alone and always have, I am, I am, that's, I feel like everybody now is a extroverted introvert. I like people. I'm close with a handful of people. I trust a very select few amount of people in life. And not, not because people are untrustworthy, it's just because it's similar to Tombstone when somebody says to Doc Holliday, like, why are you here? And he says, because Wyatt Earp is my friend. And the guy laughs and says, hell, I had a lot of friends. And he goes, I don't. That, I, I would say that is, uh, that, that's true for me. They're the, when, I, when somebody is my friend, uh, that I have a lot of acquaintances and a lot of guys that I, that I like that I'm friendly with that I interact with, there are very few that I truly go, man, I got, that guy is my friend, like, um, or that, that is a buddy of mine, meaning there, uh, there's a deep loyalty connection there. And there's, there's not a lot of that. And, and I like, I'm, that's not like, that's on purpose. That's, um, you don't, you don't need many. Of, of those kinds of guys in your life. And I, I have actually have an abundance. When I say there's a handful, that's an abundance of people that you can trust. <clears throat> and so, well, how do I keep running these? I don't even know how I got there. I did the whole Tombstone Wider Doc Holiday thing. I'm not even getting that right now. I could either be, oh, because in my thoughts. So, uh, being somebody who is not in the, just the way my job is arranged. I, I do multiple different jobs. I coach football. I'm a personal trainer. I do all the business side stuff for my wife. And, and then I do these things on the side and I still do some pastoral type things as well. So there, there's a lot of jobs I have. that's just kind of meshed together, which means in the movement of day-to-day -day life, there's a lot of time that I am spending not around others. So we're owning a, a family business that has like our employees are not centralized in an office. They are either out with clients or they are uh, remotely working just the way our business is arranged. <clears throat> so I have a lot of time where thought processes is running. And so I, I do things to fill that. I did like um, sports news is on in the background right now and or football news is and then 
uh, I'll listen to podcasts while I work. Sometimes that helps fill, it either fills thought process or podcasts actually help feed. Okay, what else do I want to talk about or who do I want to bring in to interview? I'm listening to the Hard Men podcast and the King's Hall, which is, those are overlapping podcasts. There's a, I think to it, I don't know, I guess that the Hard Men podcast, if all of those guys are on the King's Hall or if it's just one of them. I, I when I listen to podcasts, I don't, I, I think one of them's name is Eric. I don't even know the other one's names. And I don't like, I don't follow guys Instagram. I don't follow Instagram. I don't follow Twitter. I don't read any of that stuff. There's, <laughs> there's a select group of people I follow on Instagram and most of them are workout people and I'm looking for different ideas or thought processes or sweatbands. So what I'm saying is I have I have a I have a lot of thought space time, which during the time I was really struggling was was tough because I could either be negative and run a negative thought process because I'm much more of a pessimist than I am an optimist. I am when somebody says, "Are you half empty or half full in your glass of milk?" I am who drank my damn milk is who I am. So I'm not half empty or half full. I am who freaking took my milk. That's my uh, disposition towards the world. Uh, so, which is funny as a, like as a youth pastor, I was always like, I'm 41 and it, in my thirties, I could still play 17. And I was a late bloomer. I don't know if that just meant my body aged later or what, but it did. And I just, I was able to do more and, and still, uh, and still engage with relationally and, and physically in terms of, and it, it is a, it is a toll, uh, to be 17 Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, uh, at the age of 35 and to try to keep up with the, the lack of sleep, the amount of activity and the insanity to still kind of miss part of that frontal lobe is uh it's taxing as you get older and one of the reasons i do not do that job anymore is because i'm like i just i don't physically i can't i don't have the capacity or the bandwidth not relationally and not because like i still i coach high school football because i relationally connect with high school high school kids and 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 with athletes predominantly is a sweet spot and an easy place for me to be and it doesn't take a ton of effort to do that. That's that. That's like the gifting that I did get. I got the relational gifting with a 17-year-old football player. And so that's the space I play in. But I don't take on the pastoral role because it's it's actually easier to coach football because those time frames are, they're blocked. Uh, and, and I only suit up one week out of the whole year because it takes six months to recover from getting hit. Uh, in the head with consistency when you get there's a double team that drives the second level and you get blindsided by a left guard uh, or ear hold that hurts at the age of 40 41 I guess the last time I got hit there I was 40 so anyways doesn't matter point being a lot of space for time I had two options I could either dwell on and be pessimistic and like who took my milk like that guy I know who took my milk that guy did or 
as I like, I really desire to like, I don't want to be mad anymore. I can't change it. I can't change what's going on. I can't change that. So-and-so is still a pastor's there, there. And people are still, at least a group of people are still listening to what they're saying. Uh, and there's, I couldn't change that. And no, like I also, I didn't even want to be at the point where I wanted to change that. I, so my, like my position at this point, as I look at specifically like the hurt that I had and that I experienced that then caused me just like oh, instant frustration, the desire isn't for that person to no longer be in an authoritative position. Like I look at it and go, okay. There was an individual who I worked for that at one point was like one example, completely out of bounds, having a, <clears throat> I had gone through a week series of meetings in March of 2015 and maybe it was February, February, March, uh, was our, one of our reviews. I don't remember how many we had, I don't know if it was a yearly or a buy, I don't remember. I'm in a review. And I thought I was going to get fired. Like I walked into this meeting. It's an hour and a half meeting or an hour, 45 minute. Meeting. It was a long meeting. And it's where you fill out your review and then you sit down with your two bosses. And then they like the front end, you give them, okay, here's my assessment of myself, which I never understood why you did that because the assessment of yourself is worthless because they have their assessment. They're going to go through it. They're just going through the formality of, that's how I always took it. I mean, if, if you are a boss in that position and you're having people do that, stop, because the, uh, we all know, like, you, it doesn't matter what I think. You're going to tell me what you think in a minute anyways, which is always has been how that those worked. And not one time did I sit in one of those meetings. I thought this is uh, like, why, why are we doing this? And so I do do my part and then we go into theirs and I don't know, we get, I don't know how I used, I would have my notepad. I don't remember if it was probably not this one. I had a different one at that point. Cause this one got full. Um, I'm sitting there writing and it, cause that's how I would listen in meetings. I would sit, I would listen and engage by like, okay, I'm taking notes as you're going through this. So I can remember it. Like we're in here for a long time. I'm not going to retain everything unless I write it down. And at one point I just, I shut my journal. I sat it down. I sat on my hands. Cause I was like, I don't think I'm leaving here still employed. And so from that meeting, I didn't get fired in that meeting, but then I went through a series of, of week-long meetings and they were so like, we don't know if we're going to fire you or not. <clears throat> uh, and it came from the biggest issue as I like is, is if I'm going, okay, I'm going to assess myself going back to like, Hey, if I'm asking me what's wrong with me, I'm always starting there. What's wrong with me? what was wrong with me at that point is I had gotten frustrated during. So if it's March, I got there, I don't know this. So I am yeah, about a year and a half into it. I don't know, between six months and a year, I had gotten frustrated with uh, both, but predominantly my direct report who was my boss with, his leadership style and the way things operated. And I started expressing that frustration with my team. That's out of line. I was wrong in doing that. So it's, it, when you start expressing your frustration 
with your boss, with your subordinates, meaning when it starts going, like when complaints start rolling down, that's out of line. They have to go up. Like complaints got to go up, period. Uh, I think they say poop rolls downhill, but complaints have to go up. And so you can, you cannot, if you don't agree with the guy who's over you, that has to be done inside a closed door. And then when you leave, if you're going to continue to remain in that space, that conversation has to stay in there. It can't go to your team. And I was over a team of people and, um, and a, and a lot of that was in just like, we would joke about different things. It was like, Hey, we want to do this, but so-and-so not going to let us. <clears throat> and, and that was a consistent, it doesn't matter though. Like that was out of life. That was wrong. And so that came up in that meeting. The way that it came up though, was interesting because a guy on my team had been on a trip with the lead guy and the lead guy was like probing people like, Hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And then, so there was a, there was a lot of talk, but it's like, it's one of those where I was out of line and he was out of line as well. But at the same time, because I was the subordinate, I'm the only one that's going to get in, in trouble over it. However, what's interesting is I was in trouble for saying uh, not positive and negative things about my boss. And at the same time, he was, he was engaged in a conversation where the guy was talking negatively about me, who, who I was his boss too. So it was weird. It was like, there was a, there was an inconsistency with it. And so I'm like, let me back up. There's no projection. I was wrong in doing that. In that meeting, as we're doing that, shut the journal, put it down, and those things come up. I said, you're right. I did do that. I, that was out of line. Will you please forgive me for, and if that cost me my job, then, then it cost me my job. Uh, if that's the, if, yes, because yes, I did that. <clears throat> and I would say that, was, that is the one thing that I did not go in during that time and say, Hey, I need to put this on the table. This is something that happened. I did not tell on myself about that. <clears throat> and, and then it did come up that there are other things that I did do that with not only there, but in other settings and other relational settings of like, Hey, and I, I need to make something right with somebody that they may or may not know. I don't know. And it, I wasn't trying to circumvent. It was like, no, I'm out of line and I need to, I need to make this right. That one I did not handle right. And, um, and that was out of line. The rest of it, they gave, they gave me, over the course of a week, they gave me a what's called a PIP list. They didn't call it that, but that's what it is. It's called a personal improvement. Uh, it's a personal improvement plan. It's something they do in business settings, to my understanding, of like uh, corporate America will do when they are wanting to move somebody. And for the sake of frustration, they don't want to fire them, but they want them to quit uh, and they want to frustrate them. They gave me a list of 65 things that were wrong with me and said, you need to go and you need to make a plan. Uh, go meet. I had to go meet with five other pastors and discuss this entire list. And I had to come up with a plan on how I was going to address and fix the 65 things that were wrong with me and the ministry that I led and give them a plan. And if they felt like that plan was up to par, then I could keep my job. And that like, that, that was the takeaway from the meeting. Here's everything wrong with you. 
go, go talk to these other people, figure out how to fix it. And, and a good portion of that was, I say I could put parts of that were like, they didn't have, like how I dressed. They didn't like my hair. They didn't like that. I spoke up in meetings. They didn't like that. I spoke up. They didn't like what I said. They didn't like how I said what I said. And so, I mean, there was a lot. Uh, and, and so as I started to navigate, okay, for right now, if I'm going to remain employed, it has to look like this. And so I, like, I had to dress like they dressed. It, it was like, here, like, here's the uniform apparel that you are allowed to wear. And uh, you have to do that. Like your hair has to look like fill in the blank. And then I stopped talking in meetings. Like I was on, I was on the pastoral team and I was a, supposed to be a part of the like, Hey, we're helping set the direction and trajectory of where we're going and what needs to change. And my role in those meetings was to not talk because they didn't like what I had to say or how I had to say it. And so I stopped talking and uh, an incident happened a couple months later. My wife was getting gas. She had pulled up, was getting gas and uh, the lead guy who obviously was one of the two of my bosses was there. And the, so they had, a, so she gets home. She's like, Hey, I ran into so-and-so and uh, she started to tell me what they were talking about. And one, he was updating her on like, Hey, Casey's doing a lot better. Really, really like what he's doing. And she was like, well, maybe you should tell him that. Cause he, he, I don't remember him saying a positive thing to me ever uh, in the entire time that I was there. Like that did not happen. And, and if it did, uh, forgive me for not mentioning that that happened, but I don't remember a time when that took place. Uh, so that, okay, okay, fine, whatever you want to, that great. Um, but like you're telling, like you really liked what I was doing because I wasn't speaking anymore at all. I was not talking. I, I, I literally stopped talking. Uh, I, di I didn't say a word in any meetings. And now all of a sudden I'm really doing a good job. And I started wearing jeans and boots and button up shirts the way that you did. So now I'm completely in line and being a yes man. Then went on to discuss elder level conversations of uh, there were, there was a guy leaving at that time and he was giving her details that she should not have about that person's departure and what was going on. And so she's now getting elder level content at a conversation at a gas station. And, uh, and it wasn't just one thing. It was, there were multiple things that she, like, she's telling me things that I knew about because of my position that she did not know about that. I was not telling her about <clears throat> because of that. They were like her and I, during my time in ministry had an agreement. Like there's certain things I cannot tell you. And the lead pastor slash elder is telling my wife and then she's relaying to me like I'm, cause I knew it was true. And I'm like, I knew about it because of my positioning and she, and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And then followed up by, um, he used to do this thing. He, he was preaching one time and in a message he was talking about, like he was in his forties. Uh, and I guess when he was, a, he was a basketball player when he was younger <clears throat> and he had said in the message, like on Sunday, he was like, I'm driving and this hot girl drives by and he's like, I could tell she noticed me. And so I pull up and she's like looking at me and he's like, feeling it like I still got it. 
and looks over and it's a lady from the church. She's like waving at it. And so, and in the message, it was one of those, I don't know that it was a, so it was, I think it was intended to be a self-deprecating thing. There's, there was a, it was an interesting way of, as it got communicated, the tone, the mannerisms and the words chosen from stage in the middle of a message were interesting. And I would say if, if meaning I have been at times in seasons in my life where I was out of line and I was in a bad spot and I'd made dumb decisions and I was not dealing with sin appropriately and handling things right. And I would say things that were out of line because of that. It, it positions your heart and your mind and your willingness to express things. Uh, the lines are drawn differently. And had I said those things that way, the team of people who would speak in would have been like flag something's wrong with you. And I don't think we had anybody to do that. That, that actually, we did not have anybody to do. That. There's nobody that did that. And uh, anyways, uh, she was like, I got really uncomfortable when we left one. I was uncomfortable because of what we were talking about. But then she was like, he, he was like, I, you know, when I saw you, he's like pulled up and I was like, who's the hot chick. And uh, I didn't realize it was one of my pastor's wives. And it was one of those that was like, and when we were in our mid thirties, Ryan's a fashion stylist and has been a stylist and in shape. And she's back then she was, she was blonde, uh, I had blonde tan and, uh, and had been working out with great regularity and was in, it was in really good shape. It's very douchey for somebody that came, hey, my wife's hot. Of course you think your wife's hot because you see your wife and you married her. Ryan's always been very attractive. Um, it, like when we got married, I was like, I really need to marry this girl because uh, I'm not going to find somebody this attractive uh, if this one doesn't work. And and was the most attractive person that I'd ever uh, that had ever been willing to be like, yeah, I'll hang out with you. So um, it, it's really hard to not think that dude like because of the as I'd watched the way he interacted, some things that he would say. And then that it was like, this dude is fishing at, at, at least at, on some level. Now, I don't know like, how deep is the level. I don't know. <clears throat> Got to be deep enough that it just was like, man, that's just there's something wrong with this. And so to look at like that situation and that, that one really was like when she came and shared that with me, there had been a buildup of just like, man, I like, a lot of things taking place that make me not trust uh, leadership of this church and where we're going in direction. And I, th I don't think we're after the same things. And that had had to have been 18 months of really wrestling with like, okay, what's wrong with me? Where like, I, okay, I just went through this whole 65 list of whatever. I need to stop talking and be quiet and wear different things. And uh Jesus, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Sitting down with five different pastors and saying, okay, like, what do you see that's wrong with me? What do I need to change about my life and the way I do things? And, and, and then coming back and going, okay, here's my plan on what I'm going to do and taking that seriously and, and actually going like, all right, uh, yes, like I'll be submissive to this process and you tell me how to do it. And that's how I'll do it. And that's how I did it. And then looking at that and going, man, I really don't trust you. And I don't think I should. And it's similar to like, man, if we're, 
so, okay, so what do I do then? What do I do when I feel like this person is untrustworthy? They, they're hitting on my wife and they, they're a person that, that does not, uh, like somebody who shares information like that isn't like, that's not a trustworthy person. You don't tell that person things that matter. That doesn't mean that you think that they're stealing or they're lying or whatever, but you don't trust them with important, pertinent information. You just don't. And which is inconsistent with Paul's writing to Titus. Here's what an elder looks like. And if a person is an elder and you experience that, what do I do when I'm mad at them when I can't change that? But I'm trusting that God is in control. I'm recognizing, hey, I'm, I was more mad at God than I was at him. But the end goal, my end desire in looking at isn't that that guy gets fired. It's that that guy recognizes there's something wrong with my leadership. I am going to answer to Jesus one day. The desire is that maybe God will change that person's heart and they will lead really, really well. There'll be somebody that says, I can't say those things. There'll be somebody that says, you know what? I haven't had five guys around me saying, you can't say that. And I got to stop saying that. And I'm going to push against that. And so I'm going to begin to submit to that. There's going to be somebody that goes, hey, like you what, you said, what? No, you like you got it. You got a three month break. You can't do that because of fill in the blank. Like what? Like why is it that those things come out of your mouth? What in your life is causing you to draw the boundaries where you do? We got to redraw them. And like what is like what needs to change that causes that, so that that you can lead well in the way that you're supposed to. That you're not. That, I mean, there's another story uh, that actually lights me up even more than my own. Same thing to go. The mistreatment of somebody. there was extreme jealousy, selfishness, and almost, it didn't look the same, but it had the same spirit of the Saul-David relationship. And the envy, the jealousy, the anxiety, the paranoia, I think that all existed on some level in the spirit of that existed. The desire is that that is it's different. Like my hope isn't that that person doesn't have a job in a year and a half. My hope is that person has a significant heart change and that someday we can sit down at the table and they go, uh, golly, man, there were some things I really missed on. And like, will you please forgive me for that? Because, because it was hurtful. It from our side, it's like, man, it was hurtful. It like it, it was hurtful for me to go through those things again, like the stuff that is my fault. Like I own that. Like I shouldn't have said that about my boss. Uh, I shouldn't have, I, we shouldn't have joked about those things as a team. I should have kept those things strictly between he and I in the disagreements and the way we did things. And then uh, made sure that everybody knew like, I am here for this guy's success. And as soon as I wasn't, I, I, as soon as it was clear, I am not and cannot be here for your success, then I'm out, and, and, which I was. It was like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I can't follow or support you anymore, and I won't <clears throat> because, I, because I think we're after different things. And, uh, and I could be wrong. I just don't think I am, and that's why I can't do this anymore. Uh, and I'm not going to submit to this anymore because I – anyways. What do I do when I'm angry about that? 
I have found that those that I personally have riffs with, I have to find what makes me sympathetic or empathetic or both. And with the two guys that I've had riffs with, they both have had tragic things happen in their lives that make me go, man, even though I don't agree with so many things, that thought always removes, man, I'm angry and replaces with just like, that makes me sad. It just makes me sad. And, and, and it reminds me that I have no, I have no positional seat to speak into what I think is either off the rails, wrong, off track, out of line. And like that, that not my monkey, not my circus thought. It, it doesn't bring that thought, but it brings that like, not my monkey, not my circus is like, I'm pissed and I hate that crap, but it's not my deal. I'm not going to worry about it. It like, I don't have that bent on it. It just makes me go, that makes me sad. And I don't actually, I don't even want to speak into that because it, because it, it's almost like that thought trumps everything else. Not that, not that sad things in our life trump uh, right and wrong, excuse me, and being just and, and appropriate according to scripture. It doesn't do that. But what it does do is allows me to go, uh, my bent, my thoughts, uh, my inner being reaction is softer. And the more that I can have soft moments, the more it helps move the needle down the field as I'm taking the breath. Like I said last week, the, the person that, that there has been restoration with, it was a four-year process, and there was a four-year breath, I think, on both sides. And what started making me no longer angry and hurt was thinking about the positive things that had taken place. And, and I mentioned that last week. There was... Uh, an incident of like incident of really good shepherding from his side of the table to my side of the table that that in that particular interaction started coming to mind and it began to eat away at the things that were hurtful that I was mad about Her, uh, anger is always driven by hurt and oh, I, I say that I don't actually I don't know in my life I can look in and go I think almost always things I'm angry about, they're always attached to hurt somewhere. And now my anger from an incident may not be being hurt from that one, but it may be a hurt from uh, a previous incident or years before that then brought about like, man, this triggered that emotion of hurt. And so my response to hurt is anger and that fight or flight response which most of the time mine is a fight response unless somebody's just really, really big. And it's like, mm -hmm. I like, I don't compete when I know I'm not, I don't have a chance to, to win. I'm not going to voluntarily, I'm not going to run a marathon. Why? Cause it's not about finishing. Like I'm going to lose. Uh, I may finish, but if finishes and a win in my mind, I'm not a triathlete because I'm not going to win. Uh, I, I'll play Turkey bowl still because I got a chance to win that. And so it's, I've always, 
navigated that way to go, if I get in a fight, I got a good chance to win. And I'm not going to get in that fight if I, it's very clear, like, I'm not going to win that. And I'm a bandwagon fan. I and, and can admit it. Like, I have an OU hoodie and I got a Texas hoodie. But in football, OU football and Texas football. Why? Because Reverend shoot out the next day, I can wear the winner. <laughs> and so I went to DBU. We don't have a football team and we never will. So I get to be a bandwagon fan. And so if you're doing well, I man, a few years ago, I was a Michigan State fan. Why? Because they were on a roll. I've been an Oregon fan for years. Why? Because they got good and they got cool unis and I'm a Nike fan. So bandwagon, I've never even been to Oregon and I'm an Oregon fan. I got an Oregon sweatshirt. It's amazing. Point being, the things that have really, really helped me are when I am angry to soften that has been to find whatever it is that creates softness. And, and, and with consistency, it's somebody who it's like, okay, that thing in life, that just, man, that makes me sad. Um, and that comes up as I get upset or I get angry, I bring that thought to mind or that thought comes to mind. It actually comes to mind more often now than it used to. And when I'm reminded of that, it makes me go, man, that sucks. I, I would not want that. And for whatever reason, that just makes me go, I'm going to, I'm going to disengage from this thought process and, and, and that's okay. And go back to, okay, if I'm trusting what's true, meaning I am trusting that there is a God, I am trusting that scripture has made it clear that God does love us. It's made it clear that God is in charge. It's made it clear that his timetable is not ours. Uh, he's made it clear that vengeance is his and that his vengeance may not look like ours does. It may not look like, it's like if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd be like, yes, that guy should be fired. Absolutely, he should not have a job. No, he should not be leading because his leadership is completely inconsistent with what we see in scripture. And then over time, over the last seven years of like, what is the sympathetic thought? I, can't, I never can remember which is sympathy and which is empathy. One is looking in the pit and going, man, I, am, I hate that you're in there. And empathy is you're in there with them, I think is what it is. And I like, I'm not in those holes with those people and I don't want to be, but at the same time, you can look and go, God, that makes, that makes me sad that that particular thing is taking place. Um, similar, like I, I have daily anxiety and there are people I know who are in that hole and in, and that are like, that we can sit in the hole together and be like, ah, anxiety. Uh, and then there are people that are out of the hole that look into it and they're like, man, I really hate that you're there. Uh, either one of those are, are discouraging things in my life. Um, it's the people that aren't in the hole that are like, there ain't even a hole there. Like get out of the hole, stupid. Uh, those people are, are not helpful. It is, it's helpful for the breath to be able to find the thing that makes you either simpa or empathetic to the person that has brought hurt, that has led to anger, that has led to, uh, I should take this apart. Find what it is. And when those thoughts come to mind, remind yourself of that. And then remind yourself that okay, what is true, God is good. God does love us. 
God is going to take care of things. And his desire is that people love, trust, and follow him. So somebody, the best thing that could happen for somebody that has hurt me is that they are able to love, trust, and follow Jesus. And I, and, and I have to choose to trust that one day God is going to have whatever conversation that brings the light and corrects, whether that's bringing somebody to go, hey, I'm, please forgive me for, or whether that's me recognizing that whatever hurt me was actually not on them, it's on me. And, and, and it could be, I, like I could be completely off my rocker on this whole thing. And it could, and it could all be my fault. Like I, maybe I should have dressed different. Maybe I shouldn't have talked. Um, maybe nothing was said that was inappropriate to Ryan. And it's just my bent on life that made it seem wrong. That, that may be the case. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it is. Uh, and God hasn't, ha- hasn't made me, <clears throat> uh, see something that's like, Oh yeah, I actually I'm out of line and I'm convinced of that, but he has made me see where I'm out of line on other things. And, and I've said, Hey, I'm out of line here. Maybe we just haven't got there yet. I don't know, but I do know that scripture says one day it will all be fully known. Like one day when you see Jesus, it'll all be clear. And one day when it's all said and done, it will all be right. And as Paul told Titus, like heaven is enough. And the whole point of this thing is that you have hope of eternal life because we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life because of God's grace and what Jesus did in offering somebody to save us. When I can position myself there, remind myself of that, keep coming back to that as in like, don't quit means don't quit. Like I keep going back there now as I was don't quitting, I was still asking a question and searching and looking and saying, I didn't stop. I didn't just get mad and just throw it out. I was mad. I, I didn't go to church for a little while because it was hard. Not because I said, Hey, like, this isn't true. It's just because it was emotionally really, really hard to walk in the door and be there and to exist. And, and church is supposed to be where we walk in, we worship together and we encourage one another, the, another, and spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's the whole idea. Get together, worship, be reminded of what God did, go out and continue to worship him with the way that we live and share others, share him or about him with others. That wasn't happening. So it was okay to live a season of time where it's like, I just, I can't emotionally engage here. I can't physically be in the room because it makes me sick. Because, because I'm still dealing with that. So I'm, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit asking those questions and wrestling with this and struggling with this because going back to what is true about scripture, all those things we said earlier. And I got to keep going back there while I wrestle with this, while I'm angry with somebody, I've either, I can either choose to be angry and sit in it and just get angrier and angrier and I can't control it. Or I can choose to find whatever it is that helps to offset that to make it better. It's like, if you watched the last dance, the story of Jordan's last season with the bulls and he like that Joker would create drama. He would create angst. He would create storylines that weren't even real. That would help motivate. He would say, he, I don't remember who it was. He said, somebody said something. They're like, I never said that. I never did that. I never said it. We never even engaged in a combo or something like that. And it was like Jordan built 
the premise of his comeback and the way that he fought through a series off of a statement that was never even made. But he, he knew one of the great things about him was his ability to create an environment to fight in a, in a way that just heightened his game and everyone around his. And I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in that same token of like, he would find something or he would make something up to create motivation to get the outcome he wanted. Man, if my desire really is to be at peace with everybody, to not have um, to not have anger, like I can't prevent being hurt, but I can prevent the way that my body processes through and whether I'm going to be angry or whether I'm going to handle, like I'm going to have a healthy disposition towards the things that happened that were hurtful. I get to choose that. And so I, I'm going to choose to go find what is it that creates a softness for me rather than a harsh bent because of my personality and my response is to fight. I got to find the things that create sensitivity and softness to offset that. So that's what I do. All right. So that's step one, two. Uh, so last week, last week was step one. This week is step two. How, what do I do? Uh, one, I blamed God more than I blamed anybody else. Uh, well, dear goodness, part one of step two, recognizing that I blamed God more than I blamed anybody else. And then what do I do with that? And then number two, how do I handle it when I am mad at or angry with or hurt by somebody and I can't change it? What do I do with that? So those are, those are the things I did. I know that I ran all kinds of rabbit trails, but at the end of the day, recognize I'm blaming God more. And then asking that question and looking at what does scripture have to say about me blaming God for the way things are. And then realizing once or not realizing, but being reminded, here's what the Bible says about that. Here's what God says about that clearly through his word and how it practically implies in my life. And then what do I do about it? Okay, I can live with that and go, all right, everything isn't right, but one day it's going to be. And then how do I handle it when I am hurt by somebody that creates anger or make it that makes me mad? I am finding things that make me sensitive towards that person, specifically towards that person. So that it creates a softness instead of an anger and helps me to hold on to literally like, I, I don't want to be mad. I can be hurt. That's fine. But I don't want my response to be anger. So I'm going to find that. So that's step two in this process of how I have walked through that to finally get to a point where uh, I go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad. Now, if you get me riled up, I'll get riled up in a conversation, but I'm not mad. And am I hurt by things? Uh, yeah. But I, I would say that hurt is now not expressed in this like, Ugh! I don't have that initial, I walk into church and go, sometimes church is uncomfortable. Because <laughs> sometimes it's, if you work in an environment, you're always going to just be like, okay, I see 15 things here that are driving me crazy. That's just, that's just, that's normative. <clears throat> but I don't walk into church anymore and immediately have like these anxiety responses or anger responses about uh, attached to the hurt. 
because this has just been the ongoing, okay, when this is ha happening, here's how I'm practicing, how I'm practicing, repeat, 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 repeat. You are what you repeatedly do. And you can work yourself into an emotion. You can, you can, you can choose how you're going to respond. It just is one of those that's going to take time. And back to step one, don't quit. Be okay taking a breath. And here are the practical things I did while I was taking breaths. So we'll go step three. Don't know if it's going to be eight steps, nine steps, 11 steps. Not sure. As we walk through this storyline of reconstructing faith, just, hey, here's, here's how the process has been working for me and uh, things that I've taken away, things I want to share. So thanks for listening. Hope you have a great day.